It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, Stan Jiraev and Nick Braccia on deck. Before I continue, I quickly want to remind everyone to check out the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast YouTube channel. I have a weekly video series that I'm posting up there, a 10-minute breakdown of the entire upcoming UFC card. Nick, how are you, buddy? I'm okay, and I, I want to also just let all of our listeners know that if they go to that YouTube channel, they can see you. They can actually put a face with the voice, and what they'll find is a... A svelte, very fit gentleman who kind kind of looks like, I don't know, kind of like a Muppet got hit by a steamroller that went over him once and then backed over him again. So like really, really flat. Like if you look at me sideways, it's almost like I'm not there. <laughs> well, you're quite lean. You're quite lean with a, a charming Muppet-ish, uh, you know, Quality persona. about me. It, it, I will hey, take it. Wait, all, everything I'm saying is good and it totally works for you. I, th- I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's it's been something that I've really been enjoying. I figure like, why not? use like all of the research time that I put into this podcast um, like to another avenue. And I know you don't put in a whole lot of research, so it's different for you, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's good to, it's good to That's flex weird. those muscles. That's weird considering, it's weird considering how I, I smashed you. I, during the fights, I was, during the fights, I was trying to call you and I was going to be like, Stan, why do I have to smash you so badly? Just give up. You know the title. The title's for me. By the way, if we train again, you got to help me work out this, these issues I'm having with my neck from the weight of the crown. Um, from just just crushing you this past weekend. I want to I point out for our listeners, I think it's the first time in the history of the show, so 60-plus episodes, where one of, us, um, one of us had a percentage as low as 25%. Oh, you, you, my friend, have gone one 20, in six I don't before. Think, Let's I not don't, go there. I, that's fake, fake news, fake news. Um, 20, <laughs> 25%. He's the quarter pounder, four ounces of failure. <laughs> it's, I just could not believe how poorly you picked. It's like you did all that research time, and you took every, you deduced every wrong, uh, every wrong insight, every false conclusion. You got pretty much nothing right, and like, how's that feel to put in to put in so much work? It reminds me of my my brother when he was in like elementary school and he was taking a test. He used to he used to draw a cute little character at the top that looked kind of worried, and it was his name was Chris. It would say "Good luck, Chris," and then he'd still get like a fifty five, or in your case, a twenty five percent, like on the test, and then they would just get so sad. That little cartoon character looks so sad up there, wishing him luck. <laughs> anyway, um. So F minus for you, Stan. How's that? How's that feel? How's it feel well, to be in the to be a jester in the king's court? Nick, it feels kind of not. Don't you that dare! Don't you dare! Don't you dare talk about the oh, oh, overarching results. Over, let's talk about the here and the now. There is no past. You got to get. You got to get with the the self actualization and, and living in the present. And in the present, you're one in three. Nick, uh, I'm. Nah, li- nah, uh, uh, <laughs> Just let me know whenever you're ready for me to actually get any words in edgewise. Until then, please feel free to go on with your spiel. I, it's fantastic. No, it's it's okay. I'm only but I'm only going to listen to about 25% of what you say. <laughs> I think I think it's fair to say and that's probably about as much as you listen normally, Nick. That's why I still have 12 wins to your 5. I can always fall back on that. Oh, you know, it doesn't God, you got to stick it in there. But if we look at the cl- near term, we're about 500 with a bunch of draws over the last three months. 12 and five, uh, Nick, 12 wins to your five. It, it always feels to f- good to fall back on the fact that you literally can double your wins, Nick. You can literally double the number of wins that you have. You can win the next five events, and I would still be up but, but two But what fight do you attri- the entire summer and half the spring, we've been, we've been completely even. What do you attribute that to? Have I gotten smarter, or are you getting dumber? Oh, I think I partly I attribute it to the fact that three of my three of my picks uh, completely disappeared off the card, and then I picked up uh, the Mirchart versus Herman fight, which is supposed to be a tiebreaker between us. That became my pick, and then that one got scrapped. So the entire card had to get ravaged, Nick, for you to have any hope over me. The Lord, thy God himself, had to intervene. The MMA gods, Nick, they had to come in there and say, you know what? We're going to take away Stan's first pick because Nick is naturally not going to win his first pick, as he tends not to do. 
we are going to take away Stan's uh, second pick because Edmund Shabazian doesn't have the gas tank to hang at the top level. And yeah, Marcus Perez fight disappeared. The Timor Value fight disappeared. The Kevin Holland fight disappeared. The Edward Herman Gerald Mearchart fight disappeared. And you're right, my win streak did disappear, Nick. But still, still, Nick, throughout all of the interference of the Lord that got himself, I'm still 12 to your five. How does that... How does that I'm feel, Nick? Five. I think I've got more than five. I just, dude, I'm just looking at the last three months. I've, I've learned to focus on the present, and I'm like, I'm, perf- although la- the last week's us both going six and one, and you winning the bullshit tiebreaker with the stupid fucking Naghua decision, like that was a that was close. You won a nail biter last week, and then I just, just absolutely steamrolled you. But that's okay. Let's let's get into the fights because we know what happened, and then there's there's new fights to pick that I'll probably also win. And um, <laughs> let's, just, so, let's huh? just talk. Let's briefly. Let's you know we've got limited time, and our listeners have limited patience, and they don't want to hear your excuses. So let's. Uh, what do you think of? Uh, wasn't it nice to see to see Derek Brunson, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, always the gatekeeper, um, fight? You know, pretty small. Like he has his last, th- last his two fights previous to this. Um, at his new camp with a, with an improved fight IQ, uh, less throwing caution to the wind, more uh, mixing it up and not falling in love with his striking, managing his gas tank pretty well. He looks great. What'd you think? I thought he looked phenomenal. He's been really, really putting his entire game together ever since he moved to Hard Knocks 365, uh, kind of in early 2019. I believe it was Dominic Cruz who asked him, he was like, who was your head coach? This was back in 2018 after his loss to, I think, Israel Adesanya. And Derek Brunson looked around at his team and nobody really had an answer for that. And I think that made Derek realize, like, I need to get with a legitimate team. I can't be training at my own gym where I am the guy in charge, where nobody, you know, is even willing to uh, correct me on anything that I'm doing. And he went on to Hard Knocks 365 under Henry Huft and he really developed the patience, the fight IQ, the conditioning. He's got the high-level training partners now. He's got high-level coaching now. Everything is coming together for Derek Brunson. And I spoke about this last week, Nick. His losses, Derek Brunson's losses, are literally to the very best of all time in the UFC 185-pound division. In the UFC, his losses are to Yoel Romero, arguably beat Robert Whitaker for the middleweight title. Robert Whitaker, arguably you know one of the better middleweight fighters in, uh, in in the history of the UFC. Anderson Silva, the greatest middleweight fighter in the history of the UFC. And can I just say, he deserved the decision over Anderson Silva, so that was a screw job. And then he yeah, had that Israel he, Adesanya. He, he, he had all those guys on the ropes, except for Adesanya. Adesanya, he didn't really... Yeah, he didn't really have yeah. have many moments, but he had he had Romero. I thought he was he was going to win that Romero fight, and I don't know if he gassed or he got too excited. I mean, it was it was Romero's uh, just amazing ability to finish in the third round. I think is what did it. Yeah, but he he had that, he had that barn burner like one round of total action with Whitaker, where if I yes. recall, he had Whitaker hurt. He did. Um, he cer- he certainly should have won the Anderson Silva fight, and he decimated uh, Machida. So he's. Yeah, he's just like he's gotten kind of a, a bad rap as a guy, a guy with physical gifts that can't that can't fight smart. But yep. he's been fighting smart and he's 36 years old and he made he made this 22 or 23 year old kid look. I mean, you know, it's a it's the kind of fight that knocks somebody into the welterweight division is what it was. Yeah, I don't know if Shabazzin's ever making 170, but I do think this is a I don't, I don't major wake-up call. I mentioned how like I thought that the odds were way too lopsided in this matchup. And that and, you, Shabazzin, and I agreed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shabazzin, he, in his one fight that I've ever seen that went past the first round, the only fight in his career that went past five minutes, he ended up gassing badly in that third round and getting roughed up very late against Darren Stewart in his UFC debut. And I kind of chalked that up to, look, this was a couple of years ago. He was making his UFC debut against a very experienced fighter, and there was no improvements made since then. His conditioning has not improved. He's never been, you know, past the first round where he did well in a fight at this point, right? Any fight that goes past the first, if he doesn't finish you early, he might just be screwed, especially against the guy with Derek Brunson's skill set. And yeah, I think you got to you got to realize Derek Brunson's wrestling is top notch. His left hand hits as hard as anyone's. He's pretty fast, right? And if he can temper himself, he can remain very strong in all of those areas throughout a three-round fight. I'm very curious to see Derek Brunson, 
fight somebody even a little bit higher on the scale in the middleweight division after this one. I think that there's reason to believe that he can beat the current day Ronaldo Jacare Souza. I think he would finish Anderson Silva. I think it could be interesting and competitive with Robert Whitaker. That might be the fight that I would have a preference for if Robert Whitaker wasn't already scheduled against Jared Cannonier. What do you see for him next, I think, buddy? Um I think we say I think we see Jack Hermanson for him. That and I think he probably I think and I think he probably wins that fight. I think he probably does. I think he's a stronger I think he's a stronger wrestler than Gastelum. Um yep. And it's not. I don't know that we've ever seen Brunson subbed, and I think that uh, I think Hermanson's still pretty hittable. So, yeah, I think I think this new I think this new Brunson who who fights more patiently probably knocks out Jack Hermanson. Yeah, I'm there with you. I mean, I guess Darren Till might be up uh, up for grabs, but Darren Till uh, coming win, off they match loss. winners and winners. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they generally do. They I also, still do. I also wouldn't be against, the, again, another guy that's coming off a loss, but a close loss. I wouldn't be against him facing Yoel Romero. I think that that would be a fascinating matchup at this point in these two guys' careers. Yoel Romero in his 40s, Brunson in his kind of mid-30s, years after they first fought in Strike Force. I think that would be a fascinating one as well. I'm very open to this guy. I'm very curious how high of a ceiling he can possibly have at 36 years old, and this being the time when he really puts his entire MMA game together. Who do you see for Shibazi next, man? I'm assuming uh, something a little bit softer on the palate. Yeah, that's a... Uh... I think a matchup with Antonio Carlos Jr. would be interesting. Possibly Ian Heinich. Um, yeah. Brett Tavares, he already knocked out. Omar Ahmedov, if he... if he uh, Maybe the loser of the Weidman-Omar Ahmedov fight, that could be interesting as well. Um, yeah, there's there's interesting things coming up. I think the middleweight division is at its very, very highest point right now. We've got serious, serious prospects and serious fighters throughout the top 10 yeah, rankings. The, the question I have for you, for you, yes. Stan, is we were all surprised when Shabazian sort of broke onto the scene and looked great in those, those uh, I guess he had three finishes in a row, despite the fact that he's coming out of that Glendale team right. with, with, you know, Rousey's his manager uh, what that other fella is, his head coach, um, you know, a co- Edmund a coach, Ed, yeah, a coach that was um, largely mocked following yes. um, the defeats to both Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes, um, at R- Rousey's defeats, where, you know, is, is there, and you, you had mentioned that you don't think this guy has improved much, maybe just the level of competition was, was low and he's, he's athletically gifted kid. I mean, do you think that he's going to be able to fight to his potential in that camp, or do you think he needs to get out of that camp as quickly as possible if he's going to make a mark? Succeed? Uh, yeah, I, I think it would be phenomenal for him to move to American Top Team, to American Kickboxing Academy. I think a team like that could do a Fortis MMA. I don't know how realistic it is. This is the gym that he literally grew up in. And listen, to be fair, to Edmund Tverdian's, uh credit, he did make this guy into the fighter that he is today. And he is a largely successful fighter. I mean, he's got wins over Brad Tavares and uh, Darren Stewart in the UFC. He's still four and one in the UFC, right? So, and he lost to a guy that's been streaking and looking phenomenal lately. Look, I think there's serious conditioning concerns with this guy, but outside of that, his technique is not lacking. I don't think there's much reason to believe he doesn't have heart unless he's terribly exhausted and overmatched. So, I still think Edmund might be a decent coach. I just think Ronda Rousey was not someone who can take to high-level striking. I just don't think she had the potential to improve very far in that sense. Um, Edmund Edmund Shabazian is a technical overall solid fighter. He just needs to shore up a couple of holes that are really not technique-based. So I, I like I like his potential if he can improve in his conditioning. I would love for him to move yep. to a different camp. I don't expect him to. Not he's yet, also anyway. gonna he's also gonna fill out. I mean he. Compare. I mean, he looked like a boy against a man in there, just physically. Like he's not a small dude, but Brunson's thick. He's a thick, strong dude at 185. And Shabazian's. I mean, who knows what he looks like when he fills up? Maybe he has to go to 205, and he's a star there. But he's still, you know, kid's still growing. I, I think. I think that's probably more likely. And Shabazian has this odd kind of body frame for a guy that's been dedicating his literally more than half of his life to mixed martial arts. You know, he's not heavily muscled. He's got an okay shape about him. Uh, a bit of an odd like body it's almost like a dad bod even though he's 22 years old and i'm not sure if it's because he doesn't take strength and conditioning seriously but i think there's plenty of evidence at this point to assume that he might not take strength and conditioning seriously so yeah that's that's something that i think a lot of these mma camps are lacking when i was competing 
we literally had a strength and conditioning coach that was only a strength and conditioning coach. We had a separate Muay Thai coach, a separate wrestling coach, a separate jiu-jitsu coach who all kind of came together to to make sure that we were prepared for competition. I'm not sure that Shabazian has that strength and conditioning coach. And I think that's a lot of these kind of ho-dunk MMA schools, they don't take that seriously enough. And that's where he's lacking. So that would be the area that I would want improvement in him more than anywhere else. Because okay. again, technically he doesn't look bad. And either even if he was in good shape, he might've gotten beaten by Brunson, but it wouldn't have been this badly. Yep. Yeah, he looks fantastic. All right, let's zip through the rest of this card. Um, Jennifer Maya looked great. She looked better than she has in, at all in the UFC. Joan Calder would put her title shot on the line and lost. Not only that, but she took ill after the fight, passed out. Her heart rate went down. I didn't was know that. Was wow. sta- she was stabilized at the hospital. Um, wow. Yeah, I believe she rode in the ambulance with John Wood, like um, her coach and fiance. So wow. rough, rough night, rough night for Syndicate losing that title shot. Nick, I hate um, to say I warned you. I told you that this was a really risky fight for Joanne Calderwood to and take. And I agreed it was into. risky, but we both thought that she wouldn't have taken it unless uh, she felt you confident. You literally argued with me that it wasn't that risky and that she should win this decisively. You argued well, with me that based it wouldn't on, even be based on, my, based on Maya's performances in the UFC, I did not, I did not see her finishing Joanne Calderwood. No, I, I. By the way, by the way, there was no reason to think that either of these girls were going to score a finish. I recommended a big bet for this fight to go by decision, and it did not, which hurt. But yeah, no, I'm there with you. But I expected this to be close at the very least, and I thought that this was a really risky matchup for Calderwood. I thought Calderwood could do could do what Chukagian did. I thought that Calderwood's a kickboxer. I thought she'd be able to keep her off of her, but it didn't work out that I way. Wasn't able to do that, yeah. And I believe you picked Calderwood. Um, it was the one fight that I got wrong just as I had picked uh, Gustafson. And in both cases, the strikers, we thought be, would be able to stay on their feet and not, and were taking down an arm bar. Come on, how many, how many arm bar finishes have we seen on main cards in the last 18 months? And then we not get two in two, two in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, no very weird. Of top five divisional fighters. No one was like, yeah, Maya's going to arm bar her. Like no, nobody, sir. nobody saw that. Yeah, nobody saw it coming. Good on Maya though, and she takes Calderwood's place as number one contender. Literally, she's one and one in her last two fights going into the fight against the champion because she was coming off that loss to Caitlin Chukagian by decision. Oh yeah, in late yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 2019. So she takes Calderwood's place, at least an experienced fighter this time, a high-level experienced fighter fighting uh, Valentina Shevchenko. But I expect Valentina Shevchenko to do her thing. This might be a boring Valentina Shevchenko title victory, but. That's where we're probably headed. Vincente Luque looked spectacular against Randy Brown. I thought that Randy Brown had the potential to do okay here. His chin concerned me. His lack of takedown defense concerned me. And man, Vincente Luque brutalized him at the end of that second round, Nick. Left him face first into the mat. Just pounded away after he knocked him down. It was all set up by the prettiest damn calf kicks. I mean, we've seen everyone doing that. Luque's Luque's kicks to the left leg of Randy Brown just looked amazing. And Brown couldn't do anything about them. And as soon as they were essentially sweeping him off of his feet, there was nothing else he could think about, which opened him up to all of all the rest of Luque's attacks. Brown couldn't use his 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 reach, couldn't use anything. And Luke, it was just a totally dominant fight. Luque looked fantastic. I hope he gets, you know, a top 10 opponent. Yeah, he dismantled uh, Brown, and I talked about how Brown is really bad at defending leg kicks, and that was a big part of the reason I chose Luque to win the fight. And, man, did he make them count. Vicente Luque, I agree. Look, he, he looked really bad recently against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and it, this is a stylistic matchup that will always remain the same. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson does incredibly well against aggressive push-forward fighters, and Vicente Luque gave him exactly what he needed to win that fight. Outside of that, man, Luque has a phenomenal UFC record. Uh, just quickly. I mean, not, not only that, let's just add to the fact that if you were Luke's size and you're fighting a karate fighter that's Steven Thompson's size, you still got to get, you still got to get in. You still got to get close. And that's, I mean, that's Thompson's bread and butter. Darren right? Till it's, beat Steven Thompson. Granted, it was a controversial decision, but he beat Steven Thompson by being Darren Till and remaining 
distant and safe and yep. not throwing a whole lot. That's what works against Stephen Thompson. That's why Woodley was able to pick up a win over him, right? Even though, if you ask me, Stephen Thompson's a better fighter than Woodley, but Stephen Thompson needs an aggressive opponent to get a, a spectacular win, and that's what Luke gave him. And I don't think Luke's capable of doing anything else. He's going to be aggressive. And it look, he's 8-1 in his last nine fights in the UFC. He absolutely deserves a top five opponent, in my opinion, next. Who would you like to see him face off with? Oh boy, at one seventy. Yes, let me sir. Look at the, uh, let me look at the top there. You think I would have the rankings up? You you think? But uh, Tyron Woodley would be interesting. Damian Maya's ah. on his way out, realistically, and in going into his last fight next. Michael Chiesa, I wouldn't say no to, but I'd love to see him face Leon Edwards, who keeps getting passed up for the title shot. Um, I'm not saying that. Like this is a guy that can actually make Leon Edwards have an exciting fight, so that should be interesting. You'd actually, you know what I think would be a blast. We probably won't get it. I think Luke, I think Luke against Nate Diaz for five rounds would be oh, a yeah. party. Yeah, he called out Nate Diaz, but that's not realistic. Nate. Oh, did he? He called out Nate. Okay. I, I, I yeah, I'm be... pretty sure he did after the fight. And Nate Diaz is ranked just below Vincente Luque at number twelve. Look, it's a good call out, but let's let's be realistic. I would love to see though, just real quick, Joff Neal versus Vincente Luque. If we're gonna put two serious prospects, yeah, well, against we'll probably each get other. that. We'll probably that get phenomenal. that if if, if Joff Neal beats Neil Magny, which you know, oh, we'll, oh. we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. They fight on the 29th of this month. Looking forward to that. And then we had Bobby Green, who looked really good against Lando Venata. I expected yeah, you got this. Lando, you got this one totally wrong, huh? I, I did, and and here's the thing: I expected Lando to look like he did in their first fight, and he was able to hurt him at will. He was able to take him down at will. It seemed like to me. The only reason that fight ended up being a draw is because Lando, like. Not really, didn't really land a knee to the head against a down opponent. He landed like a thigh to the graze the thigh to the head, and he lost the point because of it. But here's the thing I, I watched a pre fight interview of Lando Venata's after the bout happened, and the guy talked about how like he only trained with a coach like two or three times a week, and outside of that, he did his own conditioning and his own bag work and all of that. And I realized, like, holy shit, if I had known this, like, the guy wasn't able to have a real training camp, you're telling me, against Bobby Green. It makes perfect sense because Bobby Green's team is up and running. They have multiple fighters competing regularly right now. So, and Lando, and Bobby Green himself has been competing regularly recently. I think his last fight was about a month ago against Clay Guida. So, yeah, if I had known that, I would not have been nearly as confident in Lando Venata, who, mm. let's face it, he it got exhausted early in that second round, and then it became a Bobby Green fight since then. A uh, quick shout out to Jonathan Martinez who picked up the flying knee knockout yeah, four, over four pounds Sands. overweight, but yeah, 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 that, that was a little bit disappointing. Nate Manis picked up a win over Johnny Munoz Jr. Really impressive, like uh, lost the first round and then took over after that. Munoz took the fight on very late notice, and then Jamal Embers looked really good, really busy, huge against Vince Cachero, who belongs one weight division below, and Cachero took the fight on like a day or two's notice as well. And then Chris Gutierrez and Cody Durden. I told you that this was a risky one. The, uh, Chris Gutierrez was your first pick. I told you that Cody Durden, man, he's like an explosive wrestler, and he looked every bit of it. He took Gutierrez down in the first round at will and then controlled him. The problem is that he took this fight on a couple of days' notice and just did not have the gas tank to keep going with that. Ended up going to a draw since he won that first round dominantly 10-8 and lost the second and third rounds 10-9. Anything else you want to mention about this card, Nikolai? Just that I just that you went one and three, and I went to one and one, and that means that I win and that you did an inferior job uh, making your selections. That's all. I just I want to make sure that everyone understands how that works. I appreciate you saying that, Nick. And I do also want to say, like, the way it works when you face a longtime champion who's been at the top of the division for a long time is when you win a round over him, even if it's a decisive round, you don't get the title, Nick. You, you got to keep winning until you're ahead. And as of right now, I am 12 events to your five, Nick. So you have a lot of hard work ahead of you, but you showed a promising round in that last one, even though the referee was clearly on your side. And I give you props for it, Nikolai, but you got a lot of work ahead of you, buddy. You've got a lot of wins to get, man. Let's face it, over the last year and a half, we're something like 163 event wins for me to like 15 for you. You got a lot of work to do, kid. I don't believe that it's exactly that. And like I said, over the last <laughs> three months, uh -huh. we've been even. So I'll pull ahead. I believe it, Nick. And you know what? I, I am rooting for you, buddy. The age-old underdog story. Uh, you pick up a round here and there, and before you know it, you're still behind. 
Let's take a break, buddy. Come back and uh, let me get my win back, Nikolai, as I dominate you in our picks for this weekend's card. We have Derek Lewis going up against Alexi Olenek in the main event. A pretty decent card overall. A bunch of names you've heard of. Chris Wyman's on the card. Benil Daryush. We're going to break it down for you guys right after this. Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, we're going to break down this Alexei Oleanik versus Derek Lewis UFC Fight Night coming up this weekend for you guys. Now, as you all know, the way it works is that we each take turns kind of drafting fighters that are on the card at the end of Saturday night's event. Whichever of us has more fighters who won on our picking list ends up winning the event. Nikolai won last week and I won the week before. Starting to get a bit competitive here. Nick, you had the first pick last time. I'm taking the first pick this time, and my pick is going to be Yusuf Zalal to beat Peter Barrett. I am personally a big favorite in Yusuf Zalal. He is only 23 years old, but already 2-0 in the UFC. Trains at Factory X under Mark Mantoya. Took this fight on two weeks' notice, so that's a little bit of a concern. He's super technical everywhere, smooth striking, focuses on kicks and knees mostly, solid takedowns, and I'd say a high MMA IQ. Barrett is 11-3, making his UFC debut after a Contender Series decision win. He's fighting out of Boston. Tough, but not very fast. He can be hurt, but will grit his way through it. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I like Zalal Big. Uh, Barrett's 3-3 in his last six fights. Not even sure he belongs in the UFC, to be honest with you. And Zalal is 10 years younger, but will be better absolutely everywhere. What do you think? Yeah, so completely with you on, on your first pick. Um, after that one, it gets a, everything's pretty close. I agree. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pick one that make, I'll start out with one. That's probably going to come back to bite me in the ass. I'm going to go with mini Kelvin Gastelum, uh, Nasrat Hakparast, uh, to defeat the team alpha male fighter, making his debut, Alex Munoz. I believe Alex Munoz was the guy who defeated Nick Newell on contender series. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and you know he's a he's a Tam guy, and Tam guys usually have have good debuts. But he's I don't get the impression that he's um, that he's Nazareth's we uh, you know kryptonite, which is he's been knocked out a couple of times. Um, I and I think he's a he's a pretty capable um, grappler himself. Uh, so I think that I think it's a t- I think it's a a little bit of a tough first draw for a UFC debut. What do you, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. Nasrat is 11 and three, three and two in the UFC. He's only 24 years old. Used to train at TriStar with Faraz Zahabi, but now at Comfort with uh, Comf Sport, excuse me, with Ismail Nardiev and Mark Madsen. His losses are to Drew, Drew Dober and Martin Held, and he's got wins over Joaquin Silva and Mark Deacase. He's a fast pressure southpaw with power in his hands. Winios is six and zero, making his UFC debut. Trains with Team Alpha Male under Uriah Faber. He's an Oklahoma State University wrestling guy, and that's the same school that Randy Johnny Couture, Hendricks, Johnny Hendricks, exactly, and Daniel Cormier came from. So some MMA royalty coming out of that program. Circles on the outside and blitzes forward with combos every, I would say, minute or so. Solid takedowns, but not much damage on the ground. Both guys are southpaws. Munoz, Munoz obviously making his UFC debut, but he's six years older than the very young Nasrat. Nasrat has been taken has not been taken down since his UFC debut against Martin Held, but he hasn't faced serious wrestlers since then. He's training with Mark Madsen, which should help, right? Mark Madsen being a very serious wrestler. I like Nasrat yeah. to win a hard-fought decision, but he could very well get tied up and taken down a few times for a loss here. Um, I, I do think the odds are a little bit too wide, but Nasrat should clearly be the favorite, in my opinion. So I'm largely there with you. My next pick. Did you have is this? Going- did you have this much further? Did you have that much further down or in the turf? Yeah, definitely in the turf. It was going to be one of my next few picks. Okay. My next one, Nick, is going to be in the Benil Daryush versus Scott. Oh, Scott that was my next pick matchup. Yeah, 
Uh, I think we're largely on the same page thus far. Dariush is 18 and 4, 12 and 4, 12, 4 and 1, I should say, in the UFC. Trains at King's MMA under Rafael Cordero. Wins over Drokar Close, Drew Dober, and Jim Miller. And he's lost to Edson Barboza and Michael Chiesa. He's an excellent grappler with eight submission wins. It was a really good southpaw striking pressure game. His chin has been his only real weakness, but he's adjusted by focusing more on his Brazilian jiu-jitsu offense. Holtzman is 14-3, 8-3 in the UFC. Trains at the MMA lab with Ben Henderson and Jared Cannonier. He's got losses to Drew Dober, Josh Emmett, and Nick Lentz. And by the way, Drew Dober you know, lost to his opponent here, Benil Dayush. He beats mid-level opponents, but he's coming off a win over Jim Miller. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades, pretty athletic and hits hard, but is not a finisher. Holtzman loses to more refined athletic opponents, especially if they're solid grapplers. And Dariush is an excellent grappler, uh, grappler in BJJ Black Belt. Dariush was finished in all four of his losses, but Holtzman is not much of a finisher. I guess there's a chance that Holtzman can hit a big strike and end it, but... You know, he, he might be in a new stride given his recent success, but the guy's in his mid-30s. So I like Benil Dariush to tie him up, take him down, and get a rear naked choke by the end of the first round. What do you think, buddy? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, we know what Dariush's kryptonite is. Even though against Drakkar Close, he showed uh, an improved chin, or at least uh, a little bit of improved defense, or maybe tucking his head better, or tucking his chin more. Like, And I don't think Holt's crazy Holt, fight. It was a crazy fight. Um and what I didn't even realize, and I just read in some of the in some of the journalism around this fight, was how close was was trying to manipulate, uh, was doing joint manipulation and trying to bend his fingers uh, really? when they were when they wow. were down. Yeah, so maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of a dirty fighter there. Um, but I don't like. I think Dariush is good at all the stuff. Is better at all the stuff that Holtzman is is good at, and he doesn't have Dariush's kryptonite, um, which is like really strong punching power. Um, yeah. So I think Darius, Darius should be able to weather this, and I, w- I was going to, to pick him next. But not far behind was my next pick, uh, which is uh, Lirano uh, Staropoli, the Argentinian fighter, to defeat Tim Means. Uh, the fact is, I don't really think that Tim Means is a UFC-level fighter anymore. I hate to say that about guys, but he beat Tiago Alves um, you know, at the end of last year, which like, so did, uh, so did Staropoli, uh, and Alves is, has been shot for a while. His only other... Um, win of the last few years was over Ricky Rainey, who has no UFC wins um, after after a Bellator run, um, and he didn't look so great uh, against uh, against you know against Nico Price. Uh, had some split decisions against some tougher competition, but I just don't. I think he's a little long in the tooth, and he's fighting a guy who's 27 years old, and his only really um, I think has only lost to, to like fighters that are superior to means. Um, well, really, his only UFC loss is to uh, Muslim Salikov, who's a who's a really tough draw for anybody, um, particularly if you're still fairly. I mean, he's got like 11 fights, but he's 27 years old, and he's only got a you know he's got. Let me see, one, two. This you know three his third fight in the UFC against Muslim Salikov. So, I think uh, I just think he's got upside, and I think means he's on the way down. I think this is a real transition fight. Where where one one guy is is going to kind of take another guy's um, you know spot in both familiarity and uh, in the rankings. Yeah, Means is twenty nine and twelve overall, thirteen and nine in the UFC. He trains at Fit NHB in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's a tall southpaw on a four fight win streak at one point, and then three and five in his last eight. So yeah, to your point, he's at a really bad point in his career. He's in his mid thirties, so clearly past his prime. Got losses to Nico Price, Sergio Moraes, and Bilal Muhammad. Basically, every top-level prospect or fighter that he faced, he's lost to. Um, has not won a fight that went past the first round in four years. Staropoli's 9-2, 2-1 in the UFC. Includes wins over Tiago Alves and a loss to Muslim Selikov, which you alluded to. Good overall striking, solid footwork. Not very fast, but has good timing. If Means was in his prime, I'd pick him easily in this matchup. But at 35, he's not the same. As long as Sharapoli gets through the first round, he'll win a decision. If he can survive 15 minutes against Muslim Sadikov, I think he can certainly survive five minutes with Means. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm in. I'm on the same page with you. This one was going to be further down the list for me, but you know, but it certainly a uh, pick that I and, have a moderate level of confidence in. And let's face it, that four, that four fight win streak, not I mean, not a yeah, lot. Not, of not high level sca- competition. Not a, not a lot. Of, not a lot of scalps there. I agree. I, I, I've, I, mean, I have uh, no disagreement with you there. The the lesser Lima brother would have been is the highlight victory. 
True. And, you know, which is not a good sign. The, the lesser Lima brother back when he had serious chin issues and didn't know how to defend a shot and, you know, mentally wasn't ready for the UFC. So I'm there with you. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be in the Omari Ahmedov versus Chris Weidman matchup. Omari is 20-4, and 8-3 and three in the UFC, undefeated actually at 185 pounds with 11 wins, trains an American top team. He hasn't lost in four years, and wins are over Zaleski, Sergio... I'm sorry, his losses are to Zaleski, Dos Santos, Sergio Marais, Gunnar Nelson. His wins, however, are over Ian Heinich, Zach Cummings, Abdul Razak Hassan, and he went to a draw with Marvin Vittori recently. He's got fast hands with power, although not really much of a finisher. Solid wrestling and decent top control. He is four years younger than the 36-year-old Chris Weidman. Weidman is 14-5, and 10-5, excuse me, in the UFC He's a former UFC middleweight champ, started his UFC career at 9-0, including uh, holding that middleweight strap. 1-5 since then, going back to 2015. Chris has a 2-inch height and a 5-inch reach advantage. Chris has been knocked down or out by his last six opponents. He changed styles to protect his chin, but the style shift has removed the power in his hands. He now throws kind of pitter-patter point-scoring punches, I would say. Ahmedov may be in trouble if Chris takes top position, but he's fast and hits hard. His wrestling is good enough to defend or get up from takedowns. He lands hard low kicks and pressures early. All he needs is a few clean strikes to land after the first round, and I think he's likely to get a knockout here. Um, If Chris loses this fight, he's probably due for retirement, but I don't think he's going to retire. What are your thoughts on this one, buddy? Yeah, I just can't. I mean, until Weidman shows us shows us differently. I mean, yes, all of those fights were against extremely elite competition, and yep. he, and but you're right. He's been he's been knocked out or down in six, uh, you know, in a row. And if you look back, he he took some lumps um, from a in a flurry from uh, from Belfort, and he. Yes. Um, and he got, I mean, he was, I don't want to say he was out on his feet, but he was definitely rocked and rocked against Machida in the fourth round. I actually have a theory, Nick, just quickly. I have a theory that the Machida Weidman fight literally destroyed both of their careers. Like, I think it just did such irreparable damage to both guys that war did many years ago that they, neither guy was ever the same after. It's definitely possible. I mean, he was in a little bit of trouble with against Belfort where Belfort Belforted him when he was still all juiced up. By the way, Belfort was that was his first fight since being juiced up. Oh really? Well he still fought he still fought like it, but he didn't have quite uh you know his he gassed out even even earlier. Um but yeah I mean Weidman fought a great fight against Jacare. Weidman won at least around possible you know he was winning I mean, a lot of those fights, he was winning. He was winning the Jacare fight. He was winning the Rockhold fight. He was winning the Romero fight. Agreed. And then, like, just bad shit happened. And his, yeah, you know, he just couldn't. Uh, this, I don't know if it's a question of stamina or chin. I don't like the term chin's weird, but like, he would just make a fatal mistake and eat, a, eat gigantic shots. Uh, that he couldn't, that he couldn't, you know, that he, that he couldn't stomach. And I don't know if it's that the defensive laps were so bad that he was allowing himself to take much bigger shots than fighters usually take, or if they were regular sh- shots that other guys roll with and he just can't, you know, isn't durable. I actually think it's a combination of a uh, new lack of durability. The fact that his conditioning is not that great. He expends too much energy early. And the fact that mentally, like he, he kind of falters a little bit as a, as he gets tired. And he, I mean, he also got thrown to the friggin' wolves with Reyes. Like that was not the okay. Welcome to light heavyweight fight. True. Jesus, true. But he hasn't fought a guy outside the top like six in a long time. I think he's been he's only been fighting monsters. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I, mean, I can't pick him unless we see some evidence that he's got his you know he's got it together. And this is no this is no get right fight. I would have actually given Chris Weidman a lesser opponent uh, and, and built up to something like this. I don't think the UFC has big plans for Chris at this point. I think like this is as kind of a matchup as they could possibly give him where it's basically even on the uh, on the odds. Like, what are they going to give him, like a UFC debuting fighter? Like, why? Chris Weidman is never going to be a top fighter again in all likelihood. Why would they waste that? I think they're, they're looking at this as more of a, a potential kind of big win for uh, Ahmedov than, than, you know, potential comeback fight for Chris Weidman. Yeah. Um. What's your next pick, bud? Uh, Mike, I'm going to go with the main event. God, I'm excited for this fight. 
but uh, I'm excited for this fight because Oleniak is so much fun to watch and he's so tough and he's so resourceful. But I mean, this is a real, it's gorilla monsoon used to say the irresistible force meets the immovable object. That's what this, (laughs) that's what this bout is. So I'm really, really excited for it. But when you look closely, yes, Derek Lewis's takedown defense is something at around 50% in the UFC. It's not good. But he's also fought, you know, some tremendous, tremendous wrestlers. Um, and the wrestlers that go low against him have a lot of success. Oleniak, from what I recall in, in, in my research in his previous fights, really likes to work out of the clinch and up against the cage. Um, and you don't want a dirty box with Derek Lewis. It's And I look at the guys who have beaten Oleniak in his UFC career. You look at Blades, Overeem, and Walt Harris. What are they? They're just huge huge guys with uh with a lot of power Oleniak's not especially now that he's he's more fit he's not a massive heavyweight he's just he's crafty he's very strong he's got tremendous heart and durability but it's like against you know against guys that are somewhere between 265 and 280 with these enormous wingspans who can catch you you know catch you in the temple from like when they're flailing uh flailing and wailing that's where I think Alenia can get in real trouble. And I think the chance of Derek Lewis landing one of those big shots over five rounds is greater than the chance Alenia has of not just getting him down, but getting getting him in position for that choke. I just I think Lewis is I think Lewis is gonna be hip to it and real savvy. And if Aleniak had like some crazy quick entry like double wag, if he could get an ankle pick like Daniel Cormier, I would I would definitely pick him. I just don't think there's a way to take Lewis down without him eating a shitload of traffic. I mean, or shitload like just a, you know what I'm saying, eating just a ton yeah. of shots. Yeah. Um. So I lo- I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I don't think this is a no brainer. Um. But my gut tells me that it's more likely Derek Lewis swats him down than it is Aleniak strangles him. Yeah, this is a classic like striker versus grappler matchup on paper. Derek Luce is 23 and 7, 14 and 5 in the UFC, wins over Blagoy Ivanov, Alexander Volkov, Francis Ngannou, losses to JBS, DC, and Mark Hunt. Super athletic for 265, fast and powerful with the strikes. He can be taken down. As you alluded to, he's got a 52% uh, takedown defense, which means every other takedown he basically gives up. Usually opponents get tired taking him down, and he gets kind of a late knockout. He throws explosive flying knees and high kicks. Uh, 21 UFC fights, man. Super experienced. Alexia is 59-13-1 overall, 8-4 and four in the UFC, trains at America Top Team, wins over Fabricio Verdun, Maurice Green, and Mark Hunt. Pretty impressive. Losses to Walt Harris, Overeem, and Blades like we talked about. Only high-level fighter that I can think of that's known for his Ezekiel choke. He showed up in the best shape of his career against Verdum about a month ago. Uh, pressure power strikes with deadly submissions, I guess is how I would describe his style. Generally gasses out at the end of round one, but he recently looked in phenomenal shape against uh, Verdum and was able to make it two rounds before gassing out. There's an eight-year age difference, 35 to 43, Lewis being the younger man at 35. Their common opponents are Travis Brown and Jared Rushalt, to uh, who they both uh, beat. And then Mark Hunt actually was able to beat Lewis and lost to Olenek. If Alexi gets a takedown in this fight, he's probably going to finish with the submission, right? If Lewis lands a clean bomb early, he might get the KO. Lewis has not had a first-round knockout in four years. He usually wins in the third or fourth round after opponents are tired of taking him down, which may work against Alexi since he gets tired late. But Lewis is more patient, right? And Alexi, like, he's a finisher once he hits the ground. That's the difference between all those other guys that were able to take Lewis down and, you know, hold him down for a few rounds. Alexi is probably going to finish almost as soon as they hit the floor. He's going to take that back or take him out and hit that Ezekiel choke. And I hear the size difference, but I'm edging slightly toward Alexi. He could just get KO'd on his way in. But I think once he hits this fight hits the ground, it's probably over. And what he did to Mark Hunt, very realistic that he could do that to Derek Lewis. So I'm edging slightly toward Alexi, but I think this is a pick and could go either way. Yeah, I'm really excited. Like I said, I'm really excited for it. I just... uh... I look at the the other dudes that have Florida Leniak, and they look a lot like Derek Lewis. 
No, you you, uh, you honestly do make <laughs> do make some solid points, especially given the fact that Olenek at this point can probably make two hundred five. He weighed in at two twenty seven in his last fight, and Derek Lewis has to cut down to two sixty five. So you make honestly excellent points, and the size difference alone might be the ultimate deciding factor here. I My mean, next pick is going to be in the Andrew Sanchez versus Wellington Terman matchup. Sanchez trains at TriStar Gym generally. He's a tough 23 winner, has a wrestling background, wins over mid-level competition and losses to Marvin Vittori and Anthony Smith. He loses steam as the fight goes on. He doesn't have the best energy management. He's got decent stand-up considering he's mostly a wrestler. Thurman is 16-3, and 1-1 one one in the UFC, trains with the Gilly Hiberio team with Augusto Sakai and Rogerio Bantarin. He's lost by controversial split this, uh, close decision to Carl Robertson in his UFC debut, but he beat Marcus Perez, who Sanchez also beat. He's only 24 years old, big, strong, middleweight prospect. Terman is. He likes the pressure. He's not very fast, but he's aggressive, and he's got a solid ground game and good timing. I'm a big believer in Terman since before his UFC debut. Sanchez isn't mentally that strong, and he if he can't bully, he will get bullied, and Terman is a fucking bully. So I expect Terman to pick up a fairly decisive decision, especially in the last two rounds. It's going to be pretty clear who the better man is. I had exactly I had identical breakdown to you. Uh, moving moving forward, I'm gonna pick uh, I'm gonna pick Darren Stewart, the guy who gave Shabazi and uh, such fits late in their fight against the Hawaiian uh, Maki Patolo. I'm just not that impressed with Patolo. I think that I think I just think Stewart's an, a, a more uh, impressive MMA fighter. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Patolo has competed at 170 and he's coming up to 185 now, and Darren Stewart used to compete at 205 and he's coming down now. Darren Stewart's a big, Always strong, a bad sign. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Darren Stewart was 4-1 and one leading into his last fight in the UFC, right? And then for some reason, he competed at Cage Warriors 113 against another current UFC fighter, Bartos Fabinski, in uh, in March. I don't know how or why that happened. Maybe the UFC gave them permission because, you know, they, they had to cancel uh, near upcoming events at that point. Maybe they just let those guys compete against each other. It seems stupid that he would take that fight. But I do give him the slight edge against Patolo. I wouldn't be surprised if Patolo shows us that at 185 he's a nasty motherfucker and also he lost to Kellen Potter in his UFC debut Patolo did and he talked about how the 60,000 seat arena really affected him and he's undefeated in basically the empty Vegas arena that the UFC holds these events at so maybe he can pull this off I would not be surprised but you know we're at pick'em territory at this point my next pick is going to be Yana Kunitskaya to beat Julia Starelenko. Uh Kunitskaya is, should be the bigger fighter here she's more experienced at a high level both of these girls held the 100 35 pound Invicta title and look I, I like Yana but Julia's a talented girl she's got sick arm bars I think she's got something like 10 wins by arm bar overall Kunis kind of needs to be careful here Julia's also pretty aggressive and throws big strikes so there's reason to be concerned but I'm edging slightly toward Kunitskaya who I believe trains at Extreme Couture and is dating Tiago Santos and I got the same pick with you there although I did not know about that relationship and I'm gonna go uh, for my next pick with uh, Erwin Rivera to take out Ali Al uh, Kaisi. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you on the pick. I'm having trouble finding Al Kaisi footage recently. At least he's got a sick guillotine choke, and Rivera has got like a lot of heart. Nick, I looking at his record, I realized that he lost to an old training partner of mine, Edwin Uskiano, in the amateurs. I must have been there for that fight in all likelihood. Uh, so it's fascinating to see this guy make it all the way here. Edwin uh, retired from fighting uh, a while ago, but fascinating to to see Irwin come in. He made his UFC debut on short notice against Jika Jikaze and honestly did his best and looked competitive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One weight great. division up, he was so much smaller. He had a good first round. He, yeah, he had a decent first round, I agree, and considering he took it on like two days notice, but he gives up takedowns, and Ali Casey, if I'm saying his name correctly, is a takedown guy, he's a guillotine guy, it could go either way, but yeah, I had this as my very last pick, I, I am on the same page with you. I'm going to go with Justin James as my final pick, well actually this might be the tiebreaker, am I right Nick? Yeah, I'm going to um, go with yeah. Justin Janes to edge Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker's a really talented overall guy. He's got a Henzo Gracie black belt, and he's like a smooth, efficient, clean striker. But he did not respond well to the pressure in, in his UFC. I think it was his second UFC fight, and I like Justin Janes to apply pressure to land bombs. Wouldn't be surprised if Janes gasses out if he can't finish in the first round, but he's got five first-round finishes in his last five fights, including in his UFC debut that was on four days' notice over Frank Camacho. So I'm giving Justin Janes the slight edge. 
Nick, that'll do it for our picks. I'm quickly going to go over each of our draft lists for this event. My first pick was Yusuf Zalal. Second, I had Benil Daryush. Third, Omari Ahmedov. Fourth, Wellington Terman. My fifth pick was Yana Kunitskaya. And then the tiebreaker, which I got to choose, I chose Justin Janes to beat Gavin Tucker. Your first pick was Nazrat Hakparast. Second, you had Loriano Starapoli. Third, you had Derek Lewis. Fourth, Darren Stewart. And your fifth pick was Erwin Rivera. I know you've got to go, Nick. I'm going to take a break, come back, and give these guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. And I'm back to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. I'm going to make this relatively quick because, let's face it, we all know all of you tune in for the docile tones of Nick Braccia. First, I recommend a straight bet on Omari Ahmedov at plus 110, $90 to win 100 Then a parlay on Zalal and Wellington Terman, plus 111, $90 to win 100 Finally, another parlay, Benil Daryush and Alexei Olenek, 15 bucks to win 63 that will do it for the MMA Geeks C-Level podcast this week, folks. Now, next week, we've got a pretty big card. The finale to the trilogy between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight belt. And let's not forget, that will be Daniel Cormier's retirement fight. Now, we all know how MMA retirements work, so I'm sure we'll see him back by the end of the year. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening.